The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Friday, September 9th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, Merriam-Webster has added 370 words to the dictionary, but it's not enough to keep up with the changing pace of language on the internet, especially as we increasingly communicate through imagery and in-jokes that transcend single-word definitions. Plus, why more and more fast food chains are ditching dining areas, and what that means for our options for communal gathering. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Merriam-Webster has just announced that they added 370 new words to the dictionary this month. Across categories spanning business and technology to health and healing, most of the entrants are words in our everyday lexicon, especially in the pandemic and remote work era, while as usual there are a few surprises. Particularly in the natural world and being out in it category, I learned some new terms. An atmospheric river, for example, is a, quote, concentrated band of water vapor that flows through the atmosphere and that is a significant part of the global hydrologic cycle and an important source of regional precipitation, end quote. And magnet fishing is, quote, the sport or hobby of using a strong magnet attached to the end of a rope to find metal objects in bodies of water, end quote. We also got a few Space Age additions, like the lowercase general version of Space Force, as being the military organization for space warfare of any nation, so not just the U.S. Space Force. And also Terraform has been added as a verb to transform something like a planet or moon so it can support human life. Like I said, some of the words officially in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary now are ones you probably hear every now and then. Greenwash, dumb phone, video doorbell, metaverse, laggy, shrinkflation, booster dose, and side hustle. There are a significant number of words on this list, however, that I would have thought were added to the dictionary years ago. Most of them come from gaming or online culture, with quite a few having originally been appropriated from African-American vernacular English. Words or phrases like level up, LARP, cringe, yeet, look, spelled L-E-W-K, sus, adorkable, pone, baller. I-C-Y-M-I, in case you missed it, and F-W-I-W, for what it's worth. Sus might be a little bit newer to non-black speakers, but adorkable? How did that not get added in 2012, or whatever year it was that Zoe Deschanel burst onto the scene from inside a pink bubblegum bubble? And pone? I mean, my high school made t-shirts with that word on them back in 2005, and we already thought we were using it in an ironic way back then. 
Now, Merriam-Webster acknowledged at the top of the slang and informal language category, quote, words in this category have traditionally taken longer to meet our criteria, but that timeline is getting shorter as the internet accelerates the adoption of informal language, end quote. Which might explain also how we got the very established LARP with the relatively new YEET. Some newer terms are speedrunning their way through certification. Quoting Gizmodo, Internet culture evolves at a breakneck speed, with apps like TikTok and platforms like Twitter serving as petri dishes for the next handful of buzzwords. Sometimes the meme culture of the internet can feel like a completely different language, and Merriam-Webster is recognizing this dialect. They acknowledge that they're behind the curve, and that's me putting it kindly. It seems that Merriam-Webster is trying to play catch-up to the runaway train that is the evolution of internet slang. End quote. Runaway train is right, and it's not just the words. Mashable had to put out an article this morning explaining to all of us in the uncool camp why some people responded to the news of Queen Elizabeth's death with a string of crab emojis. Mashable explains that it all started in 2018, with an April Fool's video from Monster Car of crabs raving to a noise storm song. This video you may never have heard of has 200 million views on YouTube. That's largely in part because since its release, it's turned into a video that people post as a sort of good riddance to a public figure leaving office or passing away. It had already taken on a life of its own when Rush Limbaugh died in 2021, and a number of larger accounts, like comedian Jabuki Young White, posted the video, screen caps of the video, or simply crab emojis in response to the news, and it blew up from there. The crab emoji is now a relatively regular occurrence among certain subsets of the internet to show hype over someone else's misfortune. As Mashable puts it, quote, This isn't the first time we've used emoji as another form of linguistic expression. End quote. They went on to give examples of Beyonce fans spamming people with bee emojis when those people have attacked Queen Bay, or people adding sunflower emojis to their usernames to show solidarity with Ukraine. But it goes much further. Emojis and memes these days are capable of conveying a lot more depth and emotion than any single slang word. Which is maybe why putting slang terms in the dictionary feels like a death knell. Not so much because an official source gave them their stamp of approval and that feels as cringe as your parents suddenly using the word sus, but because individual words on their own rarely carry the same weight as visual memes, emojis, and references do. And apart from those not exactly being the kinds of things dictionaries include, it would also be near impossible to keep up with because the pace of turnover is so fast. So by the time a dictionary gets around to it, it's already stale. Though imagine if a database tried keeping up with all the memes and in-jokes. I mean, I guess Know Your Meme is pretty close. Weirdly, even though the turnover with memes is so fast, there are still a lot that stick, which get referenced and remixed time and again, even over a period of years, being resurrected at exactly the perfect moment. Ryan Broderick touched on this in today's edition of his Garbage Day newsletter, which sought to explain what the heck happened on some corners of the internet yesterday, including why such seemingly disparate terms such as Jonggu from BTS, Sans from Undertale, Trisha Paytas, the Destiel ship from Supernatural, Princess Diana, and Crabs were all trending on Twitter beside Queen Elizabeth. 
Each of those and more had clear pathways to the passing of the monarch via various memes, half-joking conspiracy theories, and in-jokes. But if you weren't in the know, it looked like garbled nonsense. And garbled nonsense to anyone outside the gates of your own internet backyard is basically our reality now. Quoting Broderick, Because we have these centralized online feeds like Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, big cultural moments are still getting compressed down into streams of information. But we also have pretty heavily fractured experiences of those centralized platforms. So massive global news stories get filtered through really strange prisms where no one's really in charge of them anymore. So 10 years ago, an event like this would have happened, and chances are you'd have gone to your favorite news site and read a tweet roundup about it. Or maybe you waited until the evening news, or maybe even the next morning's radio show or something. Now, there's just simply too much to recap, and too many recaps to parse, which makes memes the main way we express and process things now. Nothing else can really cut through, and there's probably no way we ever go back to the way things were. So if you found yourself yesterday on any platform wishing for people to be a little more respectful or a little less chaotic or just wanted the headlines to be a little more organized or just wanted things to slow down, I kind of have some bad news for you. Regardless of whether this is a good or bad way of understanding the world around us, this is just how it is now. End quote. And speaking of 10 years ago, you may have heard the news on the, you know, news idea. One reason that the Destiel ship from Supernatural was trending is because people were recalling how they learned that Joe Biden had won the 2020 U.S. election via a Destiel meme. A major moment in the penultimate episode of that TV show having aired the night before the results of the election were announced. And similarly, I saw a lot of people yesterday saying that they learned that the Queen died via the Liza Minnelli Outlives Twitter account, which occasionally tweets out people who have died or events that have ended while Liza Minnelli still lives. Recent examples include Serena Williams' tennis career, Justin Bieber's Justice Tour, and Boris Johnson's time as Prime Minister. Other people heard the news from various other meme or brand accounts instead of a news channel, news site, or even an official news account on social media. And one could make the argument that it's a bit like a return to the word-of-mouth era, when we might have heard news from interacting in person with fellow humans at work, or cafes, or in parks, or, I don't know, going back further, got our news from a town crier. But this is different. Because while the news might have been biased or slightly inaccurate coming from your local bartender, it probably wasn't the exact same bias that you yourself held. You might have actually disagreed strongly with the bartender. Now, our news frequently comes to us filtered through increasingly narrow layers of algorithmically crafted agreement, delivered to us in a language and with references that those outside our filter bubble online can barely understand. It's like a digital Tower of Babel, where we've all come together to the same place to discuss the same major story, but none of us can understand each other. And we may feel like we built the tower ourselves in some ways, but the real rulers, the ones with the keys to the cloud, they're the ones who have broken us up into silos and who hold the power to keep us unable to communicate. But you know, it's not all doom and gloom necessarily. There is plenty of constructive dialogue happening on various platforms right now that is not being shown or distributed by major news networks in Western Europe or North America. 
So in some ways, sometimes we can learn more now than we ever did before when we all had the same one news source. And when major events happen, we do see the silos split, their denizens leaking out and bumping into one another, most obviously causing messy arguments, but quietly, I have to hope, encouraging even more moments of self-reflection and learning, which I think is where our power ultimately lies. Now, it doesn't exactly matter if you don't understand why Trisha Paytas was trending alongside Queen Elizabeth or why one person's commentary was surrounded by crab emojis, but when you encounter something that is so vastly different from your worldview that you perhaps can't even parse the words at first, it is occasionally helpful to take the time to figure out why that is, or at least recognize that that person may have such a different view because they are clearly living in a wholly different online world than you are. And like Broderick said, maybe it's good and maybe it's bad that this is how we understand the world around us now, but the one thing that we can do is remember that. Remember what we're up against, and continually check our own biases and those of the posts we interact with. And whether it's funny memes and in-jokes or nefarious disinformation, so little online these days is actually what it seems. So, I guess I have to give moderate credit to Merriam-Webster for attempting to create a source for people to look up emerging terms. This current effort, though, is so laughably behind the times that you are probably better off sticking to a source like Know Your Meme, our dictionary for a new era of communication that transcends language. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Post a crab emoji for dining areas because more and more fast food chains are apparently getting rid of them and claim their consumers couldn't be happier. This according to Henry Graybar, who outlined a number of examples recently for Slate, from a drive through and app orders only Dunkin' Donuts in New Hampshire to the famous Taco Bell Defy in Minnesota, where customers can't even see the second floor kitchen. They just drive through on the ground level like at a bank and have their QR prompted orders delivered to them via hidden dumbwaiter. He also mentions Chipotle's digital kitchens, including one in Cleveland that doesn't even allow customers inside the store. It's drive-through or pick-up through a window only. Quoting Graybar, What's driving this trend? Partly savings on real estate and labor, but mostly it's a response to consumer preference. Pushed by pandemic restrictions and pulled by the increasing ease of mobile transactions, customers have rushed into drive throughs delivery, and mobile ordering. Even with coronavirus fears in most Americans' rearview mirror, Chipotle's in-restaurant sales now account for just a third of its business. At Panera, which opened its first to-go-only locations this summer, that figure is under 20%. 
Like the parallel remote work phenomenon, the rise of what McDonald's calls the three Ds, digital, drive through and delivery, may reflect an ongoing social atomization as the shared spaces that emptied out during the pandemic are slow to fill back up, to the point that walk-up, dine-in customers like me are no longer the focus and might even be a nuisance. Often lauded as a vital third space for seniors, teenagers, and families in communities that lack friendly public spaces, McDonald's unveiled a concept store in 2020 that has no seating at all. End quote. And while we could be optimistic that savings on real estate, you know, in some cases no need for a parking lot or a dining area, might mean lower-priced menu items or, even better, higher salaries for workers, I do worry about that loss of third space if this trend really does take over with most chains. Alexandra Lang talks about this at length in her recent book, Meet Me by the Fountain, An Inside History of the Mall, and I also covered it a bit in a previous episode, link in the show notes. The public necessity of a climate-controlled, accessible space for people to spend time in. Sure, it would be nice if our local governments created more of those spaces, but since they won't, or here in New York City won't even open enough public restrooms to meet demand, corporations happily step in. Malls are, or were, of course, much better at filling this need than standalone fast food restaurants, which have a history of kicking out both teenagers and senior citizens who linger for too long without purchasing enough. But in a mall, it's a little easier to sit on a bench or at a table in a common space without being hounded to buy something from one of the stores. But I do think there are some places and some populations for whom even the third space of a fast food or fast casual restaurant is more important than in others. Speaking from my own perspective, having a place to sit is often the primary reason that I go to a coffee shop. The coffee is secondary. You know, I might be meeting with someone, a friend or a professional contact, or I might need a place to work for a bit, whether because I'm traveling or my home internet is out. And as more and more companies ditch their offices, there will be more and more people in this situation, not having anywhere else to meet up with a colleague than at a cafe, or needing to escape their home office for one reason or another. Now, as someone who has almost exclusively worked from home for the past decade, I can guarantee you that these problems arise, and without a physical office space to go to, coffee shops become your go-to. And even though some of these drive-through, digital-only experiments from fast food chains have happened in urban areas, even in Manhattan, I do get the feeling that they work better and are responding to consumer preference more in places dominated by cars. While here in the city, it's often tough to find open seating at a cafe. On a nice summer weekdays, I have gone to four different cafes in a row before finding one with an open seat I could snag to work at. When I go to coffee shops in suburban areas, I'm increasingly the only one sitting at a table. At Starbucks in particular, I've frequently been the only customer in the store while the drive-thru is bustling with pickups. Graybar brings this up too, that disconnect when you enter a cafe or restaurant and it seems fairly dead, but it still takes forever to get your order because it turns out there were a dozen online orders ahead of you. An easy fix, of course, if you can, is to simply put in an online order as well, or to remember to do so ahead of your next visit. But doing that usually means giving the restaurant chain your information. And as Graybar put it, after reluctantly placing an order through the Dunkin' Donuts app and getting an email ad from them a week later, quote, I was part of the Dunkin' Digital Universe now, which is right where the company, owned by Atlanta-based Inspire Brands, wants me. End quote. 
Digital ordering might mean less cashiers they have to hire, which again, optimistically could mean higher wages for the workers they still need. And app ordering specifically means the companies get even more of your data. So for corporate chains, it's definitely a win all around. Whether these experiments keep up or fizzle out remains to be seen. Maybe if the trend is very successful, it could actually be the push we need to create better third spaces, where you truly don't have to spend money to spend time in the company of fellow humans. Because after all, as Graybar put it, quote, let's be honest, fast food's appeal has always been the food, not the human connection and certainly not the ambiance, end quote. So maybe we keep the fast food fast and get our human connection and ambiance elsewhere. Well, that was a longer episode today, so that is going to be it for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.